Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Yahweh's Covenant People, and I'm here for Eli James, who has the night off. He's attending a meeting tonight. Tonight I'm going to talk about spectacles. I'm going to basically recite Tertullian's De Spectaculus. Tertullian was a, um, a second century A.D. Christian bishop in Carthage. He, w- he left the clerical priesthood for what they called the Montanist, Montanist heresy later in his career. Early in his career, he was converted by from paganism. And, and I, I think that... Um, I would not try to compel Christians to lead the life of ascetics, but many of us attempt to justify participation in the idolatrous distractions of the world when instead we are supposed to separate ourselves from the world. Tertullian, a second century Christian bishop, addresses this very thing in his essay, De Spectaculus, or About Spectacles. While many of his statements seem to be out of place in today's world, they are truly not out of place at all. The ideas have not changed one bit, only our descriptions of them. The following statement is from one John Cargill. Of course, he's a mainstream pastor or minister or or Christian writer or whatever he is, and and I don't agree with it totally, but, but it's a pretty good statement. The question of the attendance by Christians at sporting or entertainment events or participation therein is raised from time to time. That same question is also valid about the use of the printed page, radio, and TV for learning about these events. It is sometimes worthwhile looking at how this issue was dealt with in the past. Tertullian, who lived circa A.D. 160 to 220, is one of our more important Christian writers and wrote on this subject in the second century, and although the circumstances have changed, the principles certainly have not. This issue has had prominence quite recently of the evangelical Christians, including Protestant Reformed ministers and Episcopal bishops, who are also football supporters, have had to decide whether to go to church a terminology which implies considerable impropriety when used by Christians, or attend a football match on the first day of the week, known as Sunday to secular and pagan society, and the Lord's Day to Christians. Of course, he's writing from a mainstream Christian perspective. However, the question goes much deeper. Tertullian gives us more than a clue in search for the answer. Tertullian was a pagan who converted to Christianity Then he separated from the cleric-ridden priest church. He would very probably be called an evangelical nonconformist today. Well, I doubt it, but that's okay. His importance is that he lived when the Middle Eastern paganism was still being widely practiced and the Roman Catholic Church was emerging. It, It had a few centuries to go, actually. He stands at a crossroads. Tertullian's thoroughness in tackling the various subjects he took up has caused the priest's church and the state's church to oppose him with dishonest vigor. 
T.R. Glover, one of his translators, writes, He laid the foundation of Latin, not Romish, Christianity. The churchmen, meaning the modern Romish churchmen, have never really liked Tertullian. They have found in him too much of the Puritan and the Covenanter. They read him uneasily and praise him with reservations. They remember how he left the great Romish church to follow what they called the Montanist heresy. And, and I have reservations about the, the actual truth of that. No other writer approaches him in irony, but he gets beyond irony. It is sarcasm, savage strident sarcasm at times, and it jars upon churchmen and scholars alike. Now let me state before beginning from Tertullian that some of his arguments are quite rhetorical, and it may take a fair amount of introspection to realize their application today but they certainly do apply today. Many of Tertullian's arguments are indeed timeless, and they apply to the modern football, basketball, and boxing arenas, as well as to the modern theaters, just as well they, as they apply to their Greco-Roman equivalents in ancient times. We will also see some language, some of which is the fault of the translators, and which I may amend on the fly, but some of which is there simply because it is there, because many pagans, including Tertullian, never really departed from sacramentalism, which was a, 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 um, an institute of the pagan religions as well as the, the Judean, and the need for ritual when they came into early Christianity. And so early Christianity and the later Romish church adopted certain things which I today would disagree with, and, and some of you may also. I have this with me from the book form and from the Internet, and I'll read from the screen instead simply because it's easier for me to do so while doing a program. I've already made some corrections to the Internet version, and hopefully there are not too many more which need to be made. It can be found at Christogenia on, under, um, on, on the right-hand menu on, under um, Books by Others or, or Other Books and References. You'll see Day Spectaculous there. Tertullian, De Spectaculus, which means of spectacles, translated from the Latin by T.R. Glover. And he's the, the um, translator of the Harvard Loeb Library Edition, made early last century. Chapter 1, The Conditions of Faith, The Reason Inherent in Truth, The Law of Our Discipline, which, along with all the other errors of the world, takes from us also the pleasure of the public shows. What these are, I would have you learn, O servants of God, you who are even now making your approach to God, and you too, I would have, re I would have rethink it all, who have witnessed and borne testimony that you have already made that approach, lest by ignorance, real or pretend, any of you fall into sin. For such is the force of pleasure that it can prolong ignorance to give it a chance and pervert knowledge to cloak itself. In addition to both these things, it may be that the opinions of the heathen have to this day an appeal for some. 
For in this matter, they commonly take this line of argument against us, as that there can be no clash between religion in your mind and conscience, and these refreshments of eye and ear that lie outside of us, that God is not offended by man's enjoying himself, but that so long as his fear of God and God's honor are unhurt, it is no guilt in its proper time and place to avail oneself of such enjoyment. But it is exactly this which here and now we purpose to prove that this does not square with true religion or duty toward God. There are those who think that Christians, a race of men ever ready for death, are trained to that stubbornness of theirs by the renunciation of pleasures, that they may find it easier to despise life when once its ties, if the word be allowed, are severed and they no longer crave what they have emptied of meaning for themselves. This would make it a rule of human prudence and forethought rather than of divine command. It would forsooth go against the grain to die for the Lord if such pleasures could still have continued. Though to be sure, if it were so, stubbornness in a rule of life such as ours might well pay attention to a plan so apt. Chapter 2 in the next place, there is no one who fails to produce this excuse, that all things were created by God and given to man, as we Christians teach, and that they are really good, all being the work of a good creator, and that among them we must reckon all the various things that go to make the public shows, the horse, for example, and the lion, the strength of the body and the charm of voice. It follows, they urge, that a thing cannot be counted foreign to God or hostile to him that exists by his creation. Nor must we suppose a thing hostile to God's worshippers, which is not hostile to God, because it is not foreign to God. Obviously, the structures of the places, the stones, cement, marbles, columns, are all God's own, who gave all these things to furnish the earth. Yes, and the, performance, the performances themselves are carried through, under God's heaven. How clever an argument human ignorance seems to itself, especially when it is afraid of losing something of this kind, some delight or enjoyment of the world. Why, you will find more men turned from our school, meaning Christianity, by the dangers to pleasure than by the danger to life. For even a fool does dread death beyond a certain point. He feels it inevitable. But pleasure, a thing of such high value, even a sage does not despise. Since neither fool nor sage has any delight in life apart from pleasure, no one denies, because no one is aware, unaware of it, and even nature tells it, tells it us that God is the creator of the universe, and the universe is good and is given to man. But because they do not really know God, knowing him only by natural law and not by right of sonship, knowing him from afar and not at close quarters, they are necessarily ignorant as how he bids or forbids the things of his creation to be used. They are also unaware of the rival powers that confront God for the abuse of what divine creation has given for use. For where your knowledge of God is defective, 
you can neither know his mind nor his adversary. We have not then merely to consider by whom all things were created, but also by whom they are perverted. For in that way, it will appear for what use they were created, if it once appear for what they were not. There is great difference between the corrupted and the uncorrupted, because there is great great difference between the creator and the perverter. Yet every form of evil, the evil that the heathen, as well as we, forbidding God against, comes from something God made. You see murder committed by means of iron, drug, magical incantations, but iron is as much God's creature as the plants or the angels. But the creator of them did not, but did the creator of them design those things for the destruction of man? No. He interdicts every kind of manslaying by one summary law, thou shalt not kill. Then think of gold, brass, silver, ebony, wood, and any other material used for the making of idols. Who put them in the world? Unless it is God, the author of the world. Yet, you would say, he did it that these things may be worshipped against himself? No. The supreme offense in his eyes is idolatry. What is there that offends God, but is God's own? But when it offends God, it ceases to be his. And when it has ceased to be his, it offends him. Man himself, author of every kind of guilt, is not only the work of God, but also his likeness. And yet in body and spirit, he has fallen away from his creator. For we did not receive eyes for lust, not tongue for evil speech, nor ears to listen to evil speech, nor gullet for the sin of greed, nor belly to be the gullet's partner, organs of sex for shameless excess, hands for violence, feet to wander, nor was the spirit imparted in body for the planning of treachery, fraud, and iniquity. I think not, for if God, who requires of us innocence, hates all malice, yes, and every thought of evil, assuredly it is certain that whatever he created, he never created to issue in acts which he condemns, even if those acts are performed by means of what he has created. No, for there is no other account to be given of condemnation, but that is the misuse of God's creation by God's creatures. We then, in knowing the Lord, have learned to recognize his rival. In learning the creator, we have detected the perverter too. So we need feel neither surprise nor doubt. Man himself, God's handiwork and image, Lord of the whole universe, the violence of that angel, perverter of God's work, God's rival, overthrew in the very beginning and robbed him of his innocence. Referring to Genesis chapter 3. And at the same time, he changed the whole material world, his possession, created like man for innocence. He changed it along with man to be perverted against the creator. In his anger that God had given it to man and not to him, his object was to make man in it guilty before God and in it to establish his own power. Tertullian sounds like he understood Genesis chapter 3, nearly, if not completely. Furnished with this conviction against heathen opinion, 
let us turn rather to handle what our own friends put forward. There are certain people of a faith somewhat simple or somewhat precise who, when faced with this renunciation of public shows, ask for the authority of Scripture and take their ground in uncertainty because abstinence in this manner is not specifically and in so many words enjoined upon the servants of God. No, we certainly nowhere find it enjoined with the same clearness as thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not worship an idol, thou shalt not commit adultery or fraud. We nowhere find it expressly laid down that thou shalt not go to the circus, thou shalt not go to the theater, Thou shalt not look on a contest or spectacle. But we do find relevant this type of thing in that first word of David, referring to Psalm 1. Happy is the man, he says, who has not gone to the gatherings of the impious, who has not stood in the way of sinners, nor sat in the chair of pestilences. For even though he appears to have spoken of that just man because he had no part in the gathering and session of the Judeans in debate as to killing the Lord, still divine scripture may always be broadly applied. Wherever agreeably with the sense of the actual matter in hand, discipline is fortified. Tertullian is justly saying that Psalm 1 can be interpreted more broadly than simply the interpretation of the Messianic prophecy. And and it does have, indeed, a broader application. Or even though he appears to... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm repeating myself. So that in this case, too, the saying is germane to the prohibition of the public shows. For if then he called a mere handful of Judeans a gathering of the impious, how much this vast assemblage of the heathen people are the heathens less impious, less sinners, less the enemies of Christ than the Judeans were then? Remember, the heathens at this time were pagans. Today they pretend to be Christians. And how the, all the rest of it chimes in. For at the public shows, there is sitting in the seat and standing in the way. For they use the word viahi, for the alleys by the barriers around the arena. And for the gangways up and down that separate the common people's sections on the sloping sides of the amphitheater, and cathedra is the term for the space and the recess assigned for the chairs. In other words, Tertullian is taking the language from Psalm 1, where it says the way of sinners, nor sat in the chair of pestilences, and comparing it to the, to the arena and, and the stadium. I, he might be uh, drawing a little too good of a picture there, but that, that's the comparison he's making for rhetorical purposes. So conversely, he is unhappy who has gone into any gathering whatever of the impious. Well, Tertullian's correct about that. And stood in any way at all of sinners, and has sat in any chair of pestilences. Let us take the general application, even when some other special interpretation is admissible. For there are things said with special intent, which are of general bearing. When God recalls the Israelites to discipline or upbraids them, it surely applies to all men. I would say to all Adamic men, surely. When he threatens destruction to Egypt and Ethiopia, 
Assuredly, he warns every sinful nation of judgment to come. Thus, the single case stands for the general class. Every sinful race is Egypt and Ethiopia. In the same way as every public show is a gathering of the impious, the general class covering the single case. Chapter 4. But lest anyone suppose us to be quibbling, I will turn to authority, the initial and primary authority of our seal, meaning the Christian profession. When we enter the water and profess the Christian faith in the terms prescribed by its law, we profess with our mouths that we have renounced the devil, his pomp, and his angels. Let me make a note that here we see that water baptism is practiced not only by John the Baptist and by the Pharisees and pagans, also held sway with Christians in Tertullian's time. What shall we call the chief and outstanding matter in which the devil and his pomp and his angels are recognized rather than idolatry? from which every unclean and evil spirit, I may say, but no more than of that. So, if it shall be established that the whole equipment of the public shows is idolatry pure and simple, we have an indubitable decision laid down in advance that this profession of renunciation made in baptism touches the public shows too, since they, being idolatry, belong to the devil, his pomp, and his angels. We will therefore cite the origins of one set of spectacles and another, showing how they were cradled in the world, next in order, the titles they bear, the names to which, by which they are called, next again their equipments and the superstitions they serve, thereafter the places and to what presiding spirits they are dedicated, and the arts employed and their reputed authors. If among all these things anything shall be found unconnected with an idol, we shall pronounce it to have no bearing on idolatry, to have no connection with our renunciation. Five. First, as to the origins, not universally known, indeed un unknown amongst most of our people, we must go further afield in our inquiry, and our authority must be no other than the books of the heathen literature. There are many authors who have published memoirs on the matter, they give us this account of the origin of the games. Lydians from Asia migrated and settled in Etruria, the Etruscans. So Timahius tells us. I have that in other sources. Under the leadership of Tyrannus, who in a dispute about the kingship had given way to his brother. In Etruria, then, among other rites involved by superstition, they institute other rites involved by their superstitions, they institute public shows in the name of religion. From Etruria, the Romans fetch the performers, and, with they, and, and which they borrow also the time and the name. The Ludi are so-called from the Lydians. Even if Varro derives Ludi from Ludus, that is from playing, and hence the English word lewd, just as they used to call Luperci Ludi because they play, because in play they run hither and thither. He nevertheless reckons this playing of the youths as belonging to the festal days, temples, and matters of religion. But the verbal issue does not matter when the real issue is idolatry. For since in a general way the games were called liberalia, the sound of the name clearly signified the honor of the father Liber, Bacchus. For they were first held in honor of Liber, 
by the country folk on account of the good service which they say he did them in making wine known. Bacchus was credited with the invention of wine by Greeks and Romans. He's the equivalent of Liber to the Romans. And in this we see the word liberty is really tied to the idea of licentiousness. We'll see more of that later. For they were first held in honor of Liber by the country folk on account of the good service which he said, which they say he did them in making wine known. Then came the games originally held in honor of Neptune and called Consualia, for he is also styled Consus. After that, Romulus named the Acuria from horses in honor of Mars, though they claimed the Consualia as well for Romulus, arguing that he instituted them for the Consus, the god, they say, of counsel, meaning the particular counsel which he thought out of capturing the Sabine girls to be wives for his soldiers. Sounds like the story of um, Benjamin and Judea. An honorable counsel, indeed, to this very day, just and lawful among the Romans, not to say in God's eyes, it also contributes to the taint of their origin, lest you think that good, which began with evil, that the games began with shamelessness, violence, and hate, and the founder who slew his brother was the son of Mars. Here I will say that the elements that elements of the Cain and Abel story are found in the tale of Romulus and Remus, as in other Greco-Roman stories. There is still, I might add, an underground altar dedicated to that consus in the circus at the first turning point with this inscription, Consus in Council, Mars in War, Lairs Coilo Mighty. Sacrifices offered on it on the 7th day of July by the state priests, on the 20th of August by the Flamen of Quirinus and the Vestal Virgins. Later on, the same Romulus instituted games for Jupiter Feretrius on the Tarpian, which, Piso has told us, were called Tarpian and Capitoline games. After him, Numa Pompilius started games for Mars and Robigo, for they also invented a goddess of rust. Later, Tullus Hostilius, later still Ancus Martius, and the rest in their order. And for what idols they instituted these games, you will find in Suetonius Tranquilus, or in the authors from whom Suetonius borrowed. But so much will suffice on a guilty origin of the games and idolatry. And, and I know there were a lot of confusing names there, and basically Tertullian, Tertullian is outlining the history of all of the games of sport in Rome and how they are all tied to one pagan idol or another. Here I would state that modern organized sports and modern theater are replete with idol statues of their own and great temples or rather museums to house them in. And if we don't see correlations, well, we're rather blind. Chapter 6. The evidence of antiquity is reinforced by the later generations that followed. They showed a general type of origin in the titles that still prevail, titles in which it is plainly expressed for what idol or for what superstition games of one kind or the other were designed. For instance, the games of the great mother in Apollo, and again of Neptune, Jupiter Latiaris, and Flora are general festivals. Others of the games celebrating royal birthdays and festivals, victories of the state, Municipal feasts have also a superstitious origin. Among them shows, uh, shows established by bequests, 
due honor to the memory of private persons. This also is in accordance with ancient precedent. For from the very beginning, games were classed under two heads, sacred and funeral. In other words, games in honor of heathen gods and of dead men. But in the matter of idolatry, it makes no difference to us under what name and title they are given, seeing it comes in the long run to the same spirits which we renounce. Suppose their games are in honor of dead men. Suppose they are in honor of their gods. They pay exactly the same honor to their dead as to their gods. On either side, you have one in the same state of things, one in the same idolatry, one in the same renunciation of idolatry on our part. 7. The games, then, of one kind or the other have a common origin, and names in common also, as the reasons for their being held are the same. So, too, their equipment must be the same under the common guilt of the idolatry which founded them. But rather more pompous is the outfit of the games in the circus, to which the name pomp properly belongs. The pomp, or procession, comes first at shows, comes first and shows in itself to whom it belongs, with the long line of images, the succession of statues, the cars, chariots, carriages, the thrones, garlands, and robes. This is the equivalent of today's parades. What sacred rites, what sacrifices come at the beginning, in the middle, at the end? What guilds, what priesthoods, what offices are astir? Everybody knows in that city where the demons sit in conclave. If less elaboration is bestowed on it all in the provinces where there is less money to spend, still all the shows of the circus everywhere must be attributed to their origin, must be examined at their source. For the little rivulet from its spring, the tiny shoot from its first leaf, has in it the nature of its origin. Let its splendor, let its frugality look to it, the pomp of the circus, whatever its character, offends God. Even if the images are but few in its procession, one image is idolatry. If but one chariot is drawn, it is yet Job's car. Any idolatry in any form, meanly equipped, moderately rich, splendid, is still reckoned idolatry in its guilt. 8. To proceed according to plan and deal with the next places, and deal next with the places. The circus is primarily dedicated to the sun. The sun's temple is in the middle of it. The sun's effigy shines from the top of the temple. They did not think it right to pay sacred honors under a roof to, whom, to him whom they have in the open above them. Those who maintain that the first circus spectacle was produced by Cirque in honor of the sun, her father, as they chose to uphold, argue that the name of the circus is derived from hers. Let me say that Cirque, or Cirque, was a witch-like character in the Iliad who lived alone on an island in a western sea and was known as a temptress. Obviously, the enchantress carried the business through, no doubt about it, in the name of those whose priestess she was. She did, she did it, that is, for the demons and the fallen angels. In the very decoration of the place itself, how many idolatries do you recognize? The ornaments of the circus are in themselves so many temples. The eggs are assigned to the honor of Castor and Pollux, 
by those who do not blush to believe them sprung from the egg of the swan Jove. The dolphin stout, in honor of Neptune. Reading this, we could better understand Romans chapter 1. The columns carry images of Cessia from sowing, of Messia from mowing, of Tutelina from the tutelage of the crops. In front of them are three altars for the triple gods, the great, the potent, the prevailing. They think these are Samothracian. The huge obelisk, as Hermodeles maintains, is set up for the sun. Its inscription is like its origin. The superstition is Egyptian. Let me say that the Egyptians called this obelisk the Ben-Ben stone, and Clifton once wrote on the topic at length. Back to Tertullian. The concourse of, of demons has been dull without their own great mother. So she presides over the trench. Conscious, as we said, is in hiding there underground at the goals, the Mercian goals, meaning the goals on the stadium field. And these are also made by an idol, for they will have it that Mercia is a goddess of love and that they have dedicated a temple to her there. Let me say that it's not a contrivance that Tertullian equates the ancient idols with the fallen angels. Paul did the same thing at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Colossians chapter 2. And other apocryphal literature reveals the same thing to be justified. Mark well, O Christian, how many unclean names have made the circus their own. It is an alien religion, none of thine, possessed by all those spirits of the devil. And speaking of places, this will be the place for some words to anticipate the question that some will raise. What say you, suppose, that at some time, other time, I approach the circus, shall I be in danger of pollution? There is no law laid down for us, meaning Christians, as to places. For not merely those places where men gather for the shows, but even temples, the servant of God may approach without risk to his Christian loyalty, if there be cause sufficient and simple, to be sure, unconnected with the business or character of the place. But the streets, the market, the baths, the taverns, even our houses, are none of them altogether clear of idols. The whole world is filled with Satan and his angels. Yet not because we are in the world do we fall from God, but only if in some way we meddle with the sins of the world. Thus, if, as a sacrificer and worshiper, I enter the capital or the temple of Serapis, I shall fall from God, just as I should if a spectator in a circus or theater. Places do not of themselves defile us, but the things done in the places, by which even the places themselves, as we have argued, are defiled. We are defiled by the defiled. It is on that account that we remind you who they are to whom places of this sort are dedicated, that we may prove that they to whom the places are dedicated are lords of what are lords of what is done in those places. Nine. Now, as to the arts displayed in the circus games, equestrian skill was a simple thing in the past, mere horseback riding. In any case, there was no guilt in the ordinary use of the horse. But when the horse was brought into the games, it passed from being God's gift into the service of demons. Sounds like today's racing business. So to Castor and Pollux is dedicated this kind of exhibition, 
the pair to whom Stesichorus says horses were assigned by Mercury. But Neptune also has to do with horses. He is called Hippias among the Greeks. When they harness the horses, the four-horse chariot is consecrated to the sun, the two-horse to the moon. But then again, King Erechthonius it was who first harnessed four horses to his car and stood, Lord of Fleet Wheels. Erechthonius, a son of Minerva and Vulcan, offspring of lust that fell to earth, is himself a demon monster. No, a devil himself, not a snake. If indeed, Trochilus the Argive is the inventor of the first chariot, he dedicated that work of his to Juno. If at Rome, Romulus was the first to display a four-horse chariot, he, I fancy, is enrolled among the idols himself. If he and Quirinus are the same, such being the inventors who produce them, chariots very properly have their drivers clad in the colors of idolatry. For at first, there were, no, there were but two colors, white and red. White was sacred to winter, for the gleaming white of the snow, red to summer, because of the sun's redness. Afterwards, as pleasure and superstition gained ground together, some dedicated the red to Mars, others the white to the Zephyrs, the green to Mother Earth or Spring, the blue to the sky, the sea, or autumn. But since idolatry in every form has been condemned by God, that form also is assuredly condemned, which is consecrated to the elements of nature. Let us pass this on to the stage plays. Their origin we have shown to be the same. The divine titles they bear identical, since they were called Ludi from the very beginning, and were exhibited in conjunction with equestrian displays. Their equipment on that side is parallel. The path to the theater is from the temples and the altars, from that miserable mess of incense and blood to the tune of flutes and trumpets, and the masters of ceremonies are those two all-polluted adjuncts of funeral and sacrifice, the undertaker and the soothsayer. So as we turn from the origins of the games to the shows of the circus, now we will turn to the plays of the stage, beginning with evil character with the evil character of the place. The theater is, properly speaking, the shrine of Venus. And that was how this kind of structure came to exist in the world. For often the censors would destroy the theaters at their very birth. They did it in the interests of morals, for they foresaw that the great danger to morals must arise from the theater's licentiousness. So here the Gentiles have their own opinion, coinciding with ours as evidence. The Gentiles or the nations or the peoples or the heathens. And we have the preliminary judgment of human morality to reinforce Christian law. So when Pompey the Great, and it was nothing except his theater greater than himself, when Pompey had built that citadel of all uncleanness, he was afraid that someday the censors would condemn his memory. So he built on top of it a chapel to Venus. And when he summoned the people by edict to his dedication, he called it not a theater, but a temple of Venus, under which, he said, we have set seats for viewing the shows. As a note, I would think it plausible that this is the beginning of the idea that the balcony of a theater is for lovers, Venus being the Roman goddess of love. So a structure condemned and deservedly condemned he screened with the title of a temple, 
and humbugged morality with superstition. But Venus and Bacchus do very well together. Demons of drunkenness and lust, two yoke devils sworn to either's purpose. So the theater of Venus is also the house of Liber, Bacchus. For there were other stage plays to which they suitably gave the name Liberalia, called Dionysia among the Greeks, Dionysius being a name, another name for Bacchus, not only dedicated to Liber and Venus, but instituted by Liber. And obviously, Liber and Venus are the patrons of the arts of the stage. Those features of the stage, those features of the stage, peculiarly and especially its own, that effeminacy of gesture and posture, they dedicate to Venus and Liber, wanton gods, the one in her sex, the other in his dress, while that is done with voice and song, instrument and book, is the affair of the Apollos and the Muses, the Minervas and the Mercuries. Note again that Bacchus, the Greek god of drunken orgies, is equated with the idea of liber, or liberty in Latin. Licentiousness, mistaken for liberty, that is the freedom of the Jew and all of the enemies of Yahweh. Has the Jew not, ever since the so-called Enlightenment in this day and age, trumpeted licentiousness in the name of liberty? Back to Tertullian. Oh, you, Christian, will hate the things when you cannot but hate the authors of them. So we see in Tertullian's mind that Christians can hate. That is right. Tertullian says, he does not say you cannot hate the authors, but you cannot but hate the authors, as the double, double negative appears in Latin. It means that you cannot not hate the authors. Back to Tertullian. And now we would add a word on the arts and the things whose authors we execrate in their very names. We know that the names of dead men are nothing, just as their images are nothing. But we are not, but we are not unaware who are at work under those names and behind the images set up for them, what joy they take in them, and how they feign deity. I mean, evil spirits and demons. We see then the arts consecrated to their glorification, who usurp the names of the authors of those arts, and that the arts do not lack the taint of idolatry when those who instituted them are as a result called gods. Further, as regards the arts, we ought to have entered our demurrer at an earlier point and pled that the demons from the very beginning took thought for themselves and among the other pollutions of idolatry, devised those of the spectacles for the purpose of turning man from the Lord and binding him to their own glorification, and so inspired these ingenious arts. Pro sports today. For no others, but they would have devised what should turn to their profit, nor would they have given the arts to the world, at that time through the agency of any other men, than those by whose names and images and legends they determined they would negotiate the trick of their own consecration. To keep our plan and procedure, let us proceed to deal with the contests. As a note, I would like to say that this is exactly what goes on with Hollywood, where the Jew actually, by trick, 
creates his own consecration. Chapter 11. Their origin is akin to that of the games. Hence, they too are instituted as sacred or as funereal, and are performed either for the gods of the, of the heathens or for the dead men. Take their titles, Olympian Games in honor of Jupiter, these at Rome are Capitoline Games, Nemean Games for Hercules, Isthmian Games for Neptune, the rest are contests in honor of the dead. What is there then to wonder at, if the whole equipment is stained with idolatry, with profane crowns, priestly judges, attendance from various sacred colleges, and finally, the blood of bulls? To add a supplemental word on the place, a place held in common as college of arts of the muses of Minerva, of Apollo, yes, and of Mars, too. In the stadium with war and with trumpet, they imitate the circus. It is, it too is a temple of the idol whose solemn rites are being performed. The gymnastic acts in their turn originated with the casters and Herculeses and Mercuries. Twelve. It remains to examine the most famous, the most popular of all spectacle. It is called Munis, a service. From being a service due, Munis and officium mean the same thing. The ancients thought that by this sort of spectacle they rendered a service to the dead, after they had tempered it with a more cultured form of cruelty. For of old, in the belief that the souls of the dead are propitiated with human blood, they used its funerals to sacrifice captives of slaves of poor quality whom they had bought. Afterwards, it seemed good to obscure their impiety by making a pleasure. So after the persons procured had been trained in such arms as they then had, and as best they might, their training was to learn to be killed. They then did them to death on the appointed funeral day at the tombs. So they found comfort for death and murder. This is the origin of the munis. But by and by they progressed to the same height and refinement as in cruelty. For the pleasure of the holiday lacked something, unless savage beasts too bad had their share in tearing men's bodies to pieces. What was offered to appease the dead was counted as a funeral rite. This type of thing is idolatry. For idolatry, too, is a type of funeral rite. The one and the other are alike service to the dead. For in the images of the dead, demons have their abode. If we are considering names, though this class of public entertainment has passed from being a compliment to the dead to being a compliment to the living on entering office, I mean the quaestorships, magistrates, magistracies, flaminates, and priesthoods, still, since the guilt of idolatry sticks to the dignity of the name, whatever is done in the name of dignity must inevitably share the taint of its origin. We must give the same interpretation to the equipments which are reckoned among the ornaments of office, the purple, the rods, meaning the fasces, the fillets and the garlands, and then the harangues and the edicts, and the dinners on the eve of installation, do not lack the pomp of the devil nor the invocation of demons. I guess that's what Tertullian would have thought of Romish Catholic ceremony. Finally, what I am to say about that dreadful place, the amphitheater. Even perjury could not face it, for it is dedicated to more names and more awful names than the capital itself. 
It is the temple of all demons. There are as many unclean spirits gathered there as it can seat men. It sounds to me like he's describing Madison Square Garden. And by way of lust, I'm sorry, and by way of the last word on the arts concerned, we know that Mars and Diana are patron, patrons of both types of games. 13. Enough, I think, has been said to complete our plan or procedure in proving in what ways and in how many ways the spectacles involve idolatry. We have dealt with origins, names, equipment, places, and arts, so that we may be certain that in no aspect are the spectacles consonant with our twofold profession of the renunciation of idols. Not that an idol is anything, says the apostle, but what they do, they do in honor of demons, who plant themselves in the consecrated images of whatever they are, dead, dead men or, as they think, gods, so that on account, since both kinds of idols stand on the same footing, Dead men and gods are one and the same thing. We abstain from both kinds of idolatry. Temples or tombs, we abominate both equally. We know neither sort of altar. We adore neither sort of image. We pay no sacrifice. We pay no funeral rite. Now, and we do not eat of what is offered on the sacrificial or funeral rite because we cannot eat the Lord's Supper and the Supper of Demons. If then we try to eat our to keep our gullet and belly free from defilement, how much more our nobler parts, our eyes and ears, do we guard from the pleasures of idle sacrifice to the dead, pleasures not of gut and of digestion, but of spirit, soul, and suggestion, and its purity it is purity of these far more than of the intestines that God has a right to claim of us. We have now established the charge of idolatry, enough of itself to warrant our abstaining from the shows. But let us go a step further and look at it another way, chiefly for the benefit of those who flatter themselves that such abstention is not definitely prescribed, as if not enough were said about the shows, when the lusts of the world are condemned. For just as there is a lust for money, a lust for dignity, for greed, for impurity, for vainglory, so there is a lust for pleasure. The shows are a sort of pleasure. Lusts, named as a class, include, I would suppose, pleasures also. Similarly, pleasures, understood as a class, include the special case of the shows. 15. We have dealt with the above manner of the places, urging that the places do not of themselves pollute us, but through the things done in them things from which places imbibe defilement and then spit and then spit it out again on others. So much then for the chief count in the indictment, idolatry. Let us now contrast the other characteristics of the shows with the things of God. God has instructed us to approach the Holy Spirit in its very nature and tender and sensitive, in tranquility, gentleness, quiet and peace not in madness, bile, anger, and pain to vex it. What concord can the Holy Spirit have with spectacles? An allusion to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There is no public spectacle without violence to the Spirit. For where there is pleasure, there is eagerness, which gives its 
pleasure its flavor. Where there is eagerness, there is rivalry, which gives its flavor to eagerness. Yes, and where there is rivalry, there are also madness, bile, anger, pain, and all the things that follow from them, and like them are incompatible with moral discipline. For even if a man enjoyed his spectacles in modest and upright fashion, agreeably to his dignity, his age, and his natural character, still he cannot with a mind quite unstirred or without some unspoken agitation of spirit. No one ever comes to pleasure without some feeling. No one has this feeling without some lapse, and lapses actually contribute to the feeling. But if this feeling flags, there is no pleasure. And the man may be condemned as an empty-minded fellow who goes where he gains nothing. But I think the empty-minded is foreign to us. And further, what of this, that a man really condemns himself when he finds himself set among others with whom he does not wish to be, which means that he owns to himself, he detests them. It is not enough for us to abstain ourselves from doing such things unless we also keep clear of those who do them. If thou sawest a thief, says Scripture, thou did consent with him. Quoting Psalm 50, verse 18. Oh, if only we had not to live in the world with them. Still, we are separated from them in all that is worldly. For the world is God's, and what is worldly is the devil's. Seeing then that madness is forbidden us, we keep ourselves from every public spectacle, including the circus, where madness of its own right rules. Look at the populace coming to the show, mad already, disorderly, blind, excited already about its bets. The praetor is too slow for them, the praetor being the judge or the referee. All the same, their eyes are on his urn. In it, as if rolling with the lots, he shakes it up. This sounds much like the coin toss at a football game. The signal is given. They are all in suspense, anxious suspense. One frenzy, one voice. Recognize their frenzy from their empty-mindedness. He has thrown it, they cry. Everyone tells everybody else what every one of them saw, all of them in an instant. Sounds like a close play in baseball. I catch at that evidence of their blindness. They do not see what is thrown. A handkerchief, they think. No, a picture of the devil is hurled from heaven. So it begins and so it goes on. To madness, anger, discord, to everything forbidden to the priests of peace. Next, there are taunts or mutual abuse without any warrant of hate and applause unsupported by affection. What of their own are they going to achieve who act there in that way when they are not on their own? Unless it be merely the loss of their self-control, they are plunged in grief by another's bad luck, high in delight at another's success, like a ball dropped in the end zone or a last-minute touchdown. What they long to see, what they dread to see, neither has anything to do with them. Their love is without reason and their hatred without justice. Absolutely the situation with sports fans today. To continue. Or is it allowed to us 
to love without cause any more than to hate without cause. God, at any rate, forbids us to hate even with a cause when he bids us love our enemies. I should interject, love our enemies who are those of our brethren. God does not allow us to curse even with a cause when he teaches us to bless those who curse us. But what can, we, what can be more merciless than the circus where men do not even spare their princes of fellow citizens? If any of these forms of madness with which the circus rages is permitted to saints, then it would be lawful in the circus too. But if nowhere, then neither in the circus. In like manner, we were bidden to put away from us all impurity. By this command, we are cut off once for all from the theater. The proper home of all impurity, where nothing wins approval, but elsewhere, but what elsewhere has no approval. In other words, nothing wins approval in a theater unless it's forbidden anywhere else. Tell me that does not describe the movies of today. Its supreme charm is above all things contrived by its filth. Filth in the gestures of the actor of the farce. Filth acted by the buffoon playing the woman. Banishing all sense of sex and shame so that they blush more readily at home than on a stage, filth that the pantomime undergoes in his own person from boyhood to make him an artist. The very prostitutes, the victims of public lust, are produced on a stage, more unhappy in the presence of other women, the only class in the community whose notice they escape. They are paraded before the faces of every rank and age. Proclamation is made of their abode, their price, their record, even before those who do not need the detail, yes and more, and say nothing of the rest, that ought to be kept hidden in the darkness of their dens and not pollute the daylight. Let the Senate blush, let all ranks blush together. These women themselves who have murdered, murdered their own shame, shudder, you could see it in their gestures, to find themselves in the light and before the populace and blush once in a year. But if all impurity is to be abominated by us, why should it be lawful to hear what may not speak when we know that buffoonery and every idle word is judged by God? Why, in like manner, should it be lawful to see what is sin to do? Why should we suppose that those things which spoken by the mouth defile the man should not defile the man when welcomed in by the eyes and ears? Ears and eyes are the servants of the Spirit, nor can the spirit be clean whose servants are dirty. So you have the theater prohibited in the prohibition of uncleanness. If we spurn the teaching of the world's literature as convicted of folly before God, we have a clear enough rule as to those classes of public spectacles where the world's literature is drawn upon for the comic or tragic stage. If these tragedies and comedies, bloody and lustful, impious and prodigal, teach outrage and lust, the study of what is cruel or vile is no better than itself. What in action is rejected is not in word to be accepted. In other words, if you would not do it, why applaud those who acted out? 18. But if you urge that the stadium is mentioned in the scriptures, so much I concede you. But the things done in the stadium, you will not deny that they are unfit for you to see, blow, kick, cuff, all the recklessness of the fist, and any and every disfigurement of the human face, God's image. 
You can never approve those idle feats of running and throwing, idle or still of leaping. You can never be pleased with injurious or useless displays of strength, nor with the care that develops an unnatural frame, outdoing God's handiwork. Let me tell you that somebody like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his peak would take about eight hours a day out of his life to develop that, which is what Tertullian is referring to. You will hate the type of man bred to amuse the idleness of Greece. Wrestling is the devil's own own trade. The devil first crushed men. Its very movements are the snakes, the grip that holds, the twisted binds, the suppleness that eludes. You have no use for garlands. Why seek pleasure from garlands? 19. And are we to wait now for a scriptural condemnation of the amphitheater? If we can plead that cruelty is allowed us, if impiety, if brute savagery, by all means, let us go to the amphitheater. If we are what people say we are, we t- let us take our delight in the blood of men. That was a Jew slander against early Christians. It is a good thing when the guilty are punished. Who will deny that, unless he is one of the guilty? And yet the innocent cannot take pleasure in the punishment of another, when it better befits the innocent to lament that a man like himself has become so guilty that a punishment so cruel must be awarded him, but who will pledge himself that it is always the guilty who are condemned to the beasts, or whatever punishment, and that it is never inflicted on the innocent too, through the vindictiveness of the judge, it may be, the weakness of the advocate, the severity of torture. How much better, then, it is not to know when the bad are punished, that I may not have to know when the good perish. That is, if savor of good is in them all. Certain, it is innocent men that are sold as gladiators for the show, to be victims of public pleasure. Even in the case of those condemned to the games, what can you say to the fact that punishment for the smaller offense should carry them on to murder? That is my reply to the heathens. As for the Christian, God forbid he should never, he should need further teaching to hate the spectacle. No one, however, can fully set out the whole story here unless he still be a spectator. I prefer to leave it incomplete than to remember. We don't have the problem today of slavery in sports. Today we have the opposite problem. The entire nation is enslaved to sports. Because they're paid eight to ten or twelve million dollars a year to throw a ball around, and we pay for it in in, in residual costs of, of increased products, and and the entire economy actually pitches in for that money paid to pro athletes through the idea of product promotions and advertising costs. Chapter 20. How vain, then, yes, how desperate is the reasoning of those who, obviously to dodge the loss of pleasure, put forward to plead it. No mention of such self-denial is made in Scripture. In definite terms or indefinite passage, directly forbidding the servant of God to push himself into gatherings of that kind. But the other day I heard a novel defense from one of these play lovers. The son, he says, yes. And God himself from heaven looks on. 
and they are not defiled. Why, yes, the sun sends its rays into the sewer, and it is not polluted. Would that God looked on at no sins of men, that we might all escape judgment. But God looks on at brigandage. God looks at cheating, adultery, fraud, idolatry, yes, and the spectacles too. And that is why we will not look at them, that we may not be seen by him who looks on at everything. Man, you are putting defendant and judge on one level. The defendant who is a defendant because he is seen, the judge because he sees is judge. Do you then really suggest that outside the circus, as well as inside of it, we should practice frenzy? Outside the theater, stimulate lust, as well as inside? Outside the stadium, as well as inside, give the rein to bad manners, to cruelty outside, as well as inside the amphitheater. All because God has eyes outside the portico, the tear, and the curtain? No, we are wrong. Nowhere and never is what God condemns free from guilt. Nowhere and never is that permitted which is not permitted always and everywhere. In other words, if you can't approve of it outside the stadium and the theater, you should not approve of it inside the stadium and the theater. Here is the perfection of truth, and hence the full discipline, the uniform fear, the obedient faith due to truth. Here, in that it never changes its decision, never wavers in its judgment, what is good, really good, cannot be anything but good, nor what is evil, anything but evil. In God's truth, all things are definite. 21. The heathens have not truth in its completeness, because their teacher of truth is not God. So they construe evil and good to square with their own judgment and pleasure. Sometimes a thing is good that at other times is bad. And the same with evil. Now evil, now good. So it comes about that a man who will scarcely lift his tunic in public for the necessities of nature will take it off in the circus in such a way as to make a full display of himself before all. That a man who guards the ears of his maiden daughter from every smutty word will himself take her to the theater to hear words of that sort and to see gestures to match. That the man who, when he sees a quarrel on the streets coming to blows, will try to quiet it or express strong disapproval, will in a stadium applaud fights far more dangerous. That he who shudders at the body of a man who died by nature's law the common death of all, will, in the amphitheater, gaze down with most tolerant eyes on the bodies of men mangled, torn to pieces, defiled with their own blood. Yes, and that he who comes to the spectacle to signify his approval of murder being punished will have a reluctant gladiator hounded on with lash and rod to do the murder. That the man who calls for the lion is punishment for some notorious murderer, will call for the rod of discharge for a savage gladiator and give him the cap of liberty as a reward. Yes, and the other man who was killed in a fight will have fetched back to look at his face with more delight inspecting under his eyes the man he wished killed at a distance. And if he did not wish it, 
So much more the crueler is he. 22. What wonder? These are the inconsistencies of men. It is thus they confuse and interchange the nature of good and evil, swayed by the fickleness of feeling, the wavering of judgment. Take even those who give and who administer the spectacles. Look at their attitude to the charioteers, players, athletes, gladiators, most loving of men, to whom men surrender their souls and women their bodies as well, for whose sake they commit the sins they blame. On one and the same account they glorify them, and they degrade and diminish them. Yes, further, they openly condemn them to disgrace and civil degradation, yet they keep them religiously excluded from council, chamber, rostrum, senate, knighthood, and every other kind of office, and a good many distinctions. The perversity of it all. They love whom they lower. They despise whom they approve. They, the art they glorify, that artist they disgrace. What sort of judgment is this, that a man should be blackened for what he shines in? Yes, and what a confession that evil things are. When their authors at the top of their popularity are in disgrace. There's a cultural understanding needed here to understand that paragraph. Actors in Rome were the lowest class of citizens. They weren't allowed to hold office or even vote. 23. Since then, human reflection, in spite of the clamor, and the appeal of pleasure sentences these people to forfeit everything of dignity, to be banished, as it were, to some island rock of infamy. How much more will divine justice punish those who practice such acts? Will God be pleased with the charioteer who disquiets so many souls of men, who ministers to such madness, such changes of temper, crowned like a priest, colored like a pimp, a devil's parody of Elijah, swept away in his chariot. Will God be pleased with the man who changes his features with a razor, faithless to his face, which, not content with remodeling it now after Saturn, or now Isis or Bacchus, on top of that he offers to the indignity of slap and buffet, as in travesty of the Lord's commandment. Oh yes, the devil, sure enough, teaches to offer the cheek with all patience to the blow. In the same way, the devil makes the tragic actor taller on his cotherny, a device to make actors taller, I guess, because nobody can add a cubit to his stature. He wants to make a liar of Christ. And in all this business of masks, I ask if God can be pleased with it, who forbids the likeness of anything to be made, how much more his own image. The author of truth loves no falsehood. All that is feigned in adultery is adultery in his sight. The man who counterfeits voice, sex, or age, who makes a show of false love and hate, false sighs and tears, he will not approve, for he condemns all hypocrisy. In his law, he denounces that man as accursed, who shall go dressed in women's clothes. That's in the Old Testament. I don't remember where. What then will be his judgment upon the pantomime, who is trained to play the woman, or Dustin Hoffman, and that artists in fisticuffs, will he go unpunished? That cockatrice of the kystis, the kystis is a heavy boxing glove, that scar the fist, that thick ear, he got them from God, didn't he? When God fashioned him, and God, no doubt, lent him eyes, 
to have been blinded in boxing. I say nothing of him who pushes another in front of himself to the lion, in case he is not quite murderer enough when he cuts his throat afterwards. How many lines of argument have we pursued to show that nothing connected with the games pleases God? But does a thing befit the servant of God, which does not please his master? If we have established our point that the spectacles, one and all, were instituted for the devil's sake and equipped from the devil's stores, so the devil owns everything that is not God's or does not please God, why here you have that pomp of the devil that we renounce when we receive the seal of faith? But what we renounce, we have no business to share, be it in deed or word, sight or anticipation. But by such acts, we really renounce and unseal the seal. By unsealing our witness to it, does it remain for us to ask the heathen for an answer to our question? Let them inform us whether a Christian may go to the spectacles. Why, it is above all things from this that they understand a man to have become a Christian, that he will have nothing more to do with the games. So he openly denies who gets rid of the distinctive mark by which he is known. What hope is left for such a man? No man deserts to the enemy's camp, but he throws away his arms. But he deserts his standards. But he breaks his oath of allegiance to his prince. But he pledges himself to death with the enemy to whom he deserts. Do you think that, seated where there is nothing of God, he will at that moment turn his thoughts to God? Peace of his soul will be his, I take it, as he shouts for the charioteer. With his mind on actors, will he learn purity? No, in all the show, there is nothing more sure to trip him up than the mere overnice attire of women and men, that sharing of emotions, that agreement or disagreement in backing their favorites makes an intercourse that fans the spark of lust. Why nobody going to the games thinks of anything else but seeing and being seen. But while the tragic actor declaims, he will think, will he think of the crying aloud of one of the prophets? Amid the strains of some effeminate flute player, will he muse in himself upon a psalm? When the athletes are at work, will he say that blow for blow is forbidden? Then he surely can be stirred by pity with eyes fastened on a bear as it bites, on the squeezed nets of the net fighter. May God avert from his own such a passion for pleasure as mur for murderous pleasure. For what sort of conduct is it to go from the assembly of God to the assembly of the devil, from sky to sty, as the proverb has it? Those hands have uplifted to God to tire them out clapping at an actor with those lips which you have uttered amen over that which is holy, to cheer for a gladiator, to say forever and ever, to any other whatever but to God and Christ? What is to save such people from demon possession? For we have, in fact, the case, and the Lord is witness, of that woman who went to the theater and returned devil-possessed. So when the unclean spirit was being exercised and was pressed with the accusation that he had dared to enter a woman who believed, and I was quite right too, said he boldly, for I found her on my own ground. 
it is credibly affirmed, too, that another woman, on the night following a day when she had listened to a tragic actor, a linen sheet was shown in a dream, the actor was named, and she was rebuked. Not was that woman... Not was that woman alive in the world five days later. How many other proofs indeed can be drawn from those who, by communion with the devil in shows, have fallen from the Lord? For no man can serve two masters. What has light to do with darkness? What have life and death in common? Twenty-seven. It is our duty to hate these assemblies and the gatherings of the heathen, were it only that there the name of God is blasphemed, that there every day the shout is raised to set the lion upon us, that from there persecution begins, that there temptation has its base. What will you do when you were caught in that heaving tide of guilty voices? I do not suggest that you run any risk there of suffering from men. Nobody recognizes you for a Christian. But think well over it, what it means for you in heaven. Do you doubt but that at that very moment when the devil is raging in his assembly, and all the angels look forth from heaven and mark down man by man how this one has spoken blasphemy and that has listened, the one has lent his tongue, the other his ears, to the devil against God? You will, not, will you not rather fly the chairs of the enemies of Christ, the seat of pestilences, the very overhanging air defiled with sinful cries. Granted that you, have, that you have there something that is sweet, agreeable, and innocent, some things that are excellent. No, one mixes poison with gall and hellebore. No, it is into delicacies well-made, well-flavored, and for the most part sweet things that he drops the venom. So does the devil, the deadly drought he brews, he flavors with the most agreeable and most welcome gifts of God. So count all you find there, brave and honest, resounding, musical, exquisite, as so much honey dropping from a poisoned bit of pastry, and do not count your appetite for the pleasure worth the risk in its sweetness. In other words, the Jew pretties up sin pretty good. 28. Let his own guests... Batten on sweets of that sort. The place, the time, the host who invites are theirs. Our feast, our marriage festival is not yet. We cannot take our place at the table with them because they cannot with us. It is a matter of turn and turn about. Now they are happy and we are afflicted. The world, it says, will rejoice. You will be sad. Then let us mourn while the heathen rejoice, that when they have begun to mourn, we may rejoice. Lest, if we share their joy now, then we may share their mourning too. You are too dainty, O Christian, if you long for pleasure in this world as well as the other. A bit of a fool into the bargain if you think this pleasure. Philosophers have given the name pleasure to quiet and tranquility. In it they rejoice, take their ease in it, yes, glory in it. And you, why, I find you sighing for goalposts, the stage, the dust, the arena. I wish you could tell me, cannot we live without pleasure, who must die with pleasure? For what else is our prayer 
but that of the apostle to leave the world and be at home with the Lord. Our pleasure is where our prayer, our prayer is. 29, but now, if you think we are to pass this interval of life here in delights, why are you so ungrateful as not to find enough in the great pleasures, the many pleasures given to you by God, and not to recognize them? What has more joy in it than reconciliation with God, the Father and Lord, that the, than the revelation of truth, the reconciliation of error, and the forgiveness for all the great sins of the past? What greater pleasure is there than, dis, than disdain for pleasure, than contempt for the whole world, than true liberty, than a clean conscience, than life sufficient, than the absence of all fear of death, than to find yourself trampling underfoot the gods of the heathens, expelling demons, affecting cures, seeking revelations, and living to God. These are the pleasures, the spectacles of Christians, holy, eternal, and free. Here, find your games of the circus. Watch the race of time, the seasons slipping by. Count the circuits. Look for the goal of the great consummation. Battle for the companies of the assemblies. Rouse up at the signal of God. Stand erect at the angel's trump. Triumph in the psalms of martyrdom. If the literature of the stage delights you, we have sufficiency of books, of poems, of aphorisms, sufficiency of songs and voices, not fable, those of ours, but truth, not artifice, but simplicity. Would you have fightings and wrestlings? Here they are, things of no small account and plenty of them. See the impurity overthrown by chastity, perfidy slain by faith, cruelty crushed by pity, impudence thrown into the shade by modesty, and such are the contests among us. And in them we are crowned. Have you a mind for blood? You have the blood of Christ. 30. But what a spectacle is already at hand. The return of the Lord, now no object of doubt, now exalted, now triumphant. What exaltation will be that of the angels? What glory that of saints as they rise again? What the reign of the righteousness thereafter? What a city, the new Jerusalem. Yes, and are still come to other spectacles. That last day, the eternal day of judgment. That day they laughed at, when this old world and all its generations shall be consumed in one fire. How fast the spectacle, that day, and how wide. What sight shall make my wonder, my laughter, my joy and exultation. As I see those kings, those great kings welcomed, we are told, in heaven along with Job, along with those who told of their ascent, groaning in the depths of darkness, and the magistrates who persecuted the name of Jesus, Yahshua, liquefying in fiercer flames than they kindled in their rage against Christians. Those sages too, the philosophers, blushing before their disciples, whom they taught that God was concerned with nothing, that men have no souls at all, or what souls they have, shall never return to their former bodies. 
and the poets trembling before the judgment seat, not that of Radamantus or Minus, but of Christ, whom they never looked to see. Radamantus and Minus are the um, two of the three judges of the underworld in ancient Greek mythology. And then there will be the tragic actors to be heard, more vocal in their own tragedy, and the players to be seen, litter of limb by far in the fire, and then the charioteers to watch, red all over in a wheel of flame, and next the athletes to be gazed upon, not in their gymnasiums, but hurled into the fire, unless it be that not even then I would wish to see them, in my desire rather to turn an insatiable gaze on them who vented their rage and fury, their rage and fury on the Lord. This is he, I shall say, the son of the carpenter or the harlot, repeating a Jewish slander, the Sabbath breaker, the Samaritan who had a devil. This is he whom you bought from Judas. This is he who was struck with reed and fist, defiled with spittle, giving gall and vinegar to drink. This is he whom the disciples secretly stole away, that it might be said that he had risen, unless it was the gardener who removed him, lest his vegetables should be trampled by the throng of visitors. Tertullian's being very tongue-in-cheek here. Such sights, such, such exaltation, what praetor, council, priest will ever give you of his bounty? And yet all these in some sort are ours, pictured through faith in the imagination of the spirit. But what are those things which I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor ever entered into the heart of man, I believe, things of greater joy than circus, theater, or amphitheater, or any stadium. And basically, most of this applies today, even though the, um, the gladiators no longer fight to the death, and even though they aren't slaves, in fact, they're extremely well-paid, better paid than most people. All of these things, in many ways, still apply to today's sports and today's entertainment industry, which are little but idolatry and take us away from God. And that's about all I have to say. I'm going to acknowledge Bruce. I think Tertullian said it as good as I could say it. I hope that I read it in an audible and understandable manner. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Bill. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. How you doing? Oh, really good. That was Tertullian that you read from? Tertullian, De Spectaculus, or about the spectacles, which, which are the bread and circuses, the, the circuses of Rome, the athletic contests, the theater, the... Um, Pornography and gambling. Uh, well, yeah, uh, that's basically what it boils down to. And, and we do... We serve devils by um, attending those things. And, and the devils are, are people with with two legs. <laughs> the devils yeah. are the people walking around that own those stadiums, that own those sports teams, that, that win, that, that make billions of dollars every year in gambling profits off of that sports industry. That There's all sorts of ways that our attendance there supports devils. There's no doubt about it. And, and it's... It, even though the the methods and and the um, situations are different than they were from ancient Rome, the um,
the idolatry is still there. Yeah, the um, the 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 eye that catches the doll and propping up our tree, uh, um, you know, this the, the whole beast system, money system, is uh, it, it's actually started in Babylon, and it's, it's not like recent, right? I mean, it just started in this country in the thirteen, uh, what, nineteen thirteen, but it's uh, it's been the same trick that these satanic Canaanite Jews have been hoisting uh, for the longest time, but now they, they seem to have have just uh, complicated it enough to where very few of us can break break it, break out of it. Uh, obviously, we can't break out totally unless we live out off of nature. But, uh, well, right, but we don't have to sign on to it. Uh, I mean, we should stay yeah. out of the theaters. We should stay out of the stadiums. We should stay out of the arenas. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, totally. Then you would need to be to gone out of the world, like Paul said. Like that's what. It, uh, I mean, you have to. I mean, you know, live by gas or little things. You have to use their phony money. And uh, yeah. Well, it certainly is a uh, very complicated thing as far as what the beast is put together, and uh, but it's um, next to our Almighty Father Yahweh. It's it's really nothing. You, you know what I mean? Well, right, and that's the point that Tertullian made at the end was that the reward of Christians of of Christians who um, love and believe and obey God are, is much greater than the rewards of the circuses and the theaters and, and, and the entertainment distractions of today. Amen. Yeah. I kind of like the, it's kind of like the uh, the turmoil and the storm outside that's twisting and people are caught up into this. Um, and, and we should separate ourselves from it. That's the point. Exactly. Exactly. And it's in that in this in it's in the center of the storm where there's quietness. And so uh because the life of Yahweh is not put together by man. And obviously I think that he also mentioned about that uh I think he also did mention about the image making or the idol making uh Tertullian you you read part of that? You you recall that part? Yes, you read? Did. Yeah. Uh, that 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 very factor of how we uh, we, uh, we measure according to man's judgment is not the kind of it, it's kind of it sets us off into it spins us in circles where we feel we have to belong to some stupid organization or group uh, outwardly. And that's why well, they also have a grasp on all these churches in the sense of, you know, churchianity. So one has to, it takes a lot of energy, all of our energy and a lot of work. It's not just given to, it is given to us, but it, I mean, we had, it matters. It matters what we do every day of our lives. Yeah. Not a game, that's for sure. 
How you doing, Mike? Is that Mike? Well, he's on. He he might be just listening. Hello, David. No, everybody has their phone muted. None of them are really paying attention. They probably left two hours ago. They <laughs> 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 just left their phones open to make us think they're here. Clifton's <laughs> here, but he's not. He's not called in. Oh. <laughs> Hope you're doing well, Clifton. Tertullian seemed to understand, and Clifton, and I forget in what context it was, but Clifton wrote a paper that quoted from Tertullian at one time, well, way back a few years ago, in reference to something in Genesis 3. I remember that, but I can't remember the, the, the details. I'm, I'm a little, um, I'm, I'm just forgetful of it. I'm drawing a blank, but I know that he did quote Tertullian in reference to Genesis 3. And Tertullian seems to understand that, yeah, you know, a lot of demons are walking around with two legs. That 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 these gods that fell from heaven, that these um, angels that fell from heaven had descendants here, and and um, it, he seems to understand that in its writing, but it's not explicit. It, mm-hmm. it seems to be inferred quite often, though. Oh yeah, and, and that's why he's saying we have no part with them. He's not saying to go into the theater and try to convert them, that's for sure. He's not saying to um to to try to win them over to Christianity. He's saying to stay out of there and stay away from them people. Bill? Mm-hmm. Yes, David. Ah, there you are. I'm on my cell phone today. My uh, VoIP crashed, and I think the little link sys box. So, yeah, I was, I was on a screen here on the cell phone. and uh, My website's I, down again, I think. Yeah, but I just crashed. Oh, I just crashed off the off the site. I don't know, that, but I, but I had to use my cell phone to call in today. That Tertullian, Tertullian, man, that's that's a uh, ooh, that's really good. Uh. <laughs> well, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I mean, he made an impression on me when I read that in 2003. That he has a lot of excellent articles in there against um, you know, the sports entertainment complex and and they're they're pretty and and i mean i could reformulate them my myself but why do it if it's at all i I mean it'd just be like cheating oh yeah he's uh he uh he really ought to it'd be nice if he'd have coached paul boy this guy writes so clearly i mean there's no question it's so lucid you know i mean it's it's uh, I think it's very, very clear, and just to the point, it's it's amazing. I've never read or, or heard anything of his writings before that I can recall, but it it sure uh, lights me up inside when I hear what he has to say. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, he had a lot of good things to say. Yeah, I liked it, and that's why I read it. And and it's um, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of contention, even with a lot of the people here, that that they should um. That they justify going to their football games and going to Disneyland and going here and going there and, and that's you're partaking with the devil. You're, you're not to me. You're, you're contributing to that system, and and it's an evil system. And and it, it's there's no justifying. I can't justify it. Oh yeah. Well, the, even the, even the word theme theme park uh, it, it it says it right there. It says the me park. <laughs> It's all about titillation and 
Right, and, and the yeah. movies and, and television mm-hmm. are all a part of it. They're a micro yeah. yeah. The casinos and all the other garbage. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all satanic. I think I think also one needs to understand that pleasure itself isn't bad. It's when we make that the, the ultimate goal or attitude in our whole life as being the uh, putting that over the good of of uh, uh, Yahweh and creation, the good of the universe. Well, I think that's the fact. Yeah, and the whole sports entertainment. I mean, look who runs it. The the Jew profits at every turn. They're they're in full control of it now. Yeah, when I I I just got a glance on at that that idiot box one day in the terminal, and they had right on the Super Bowl a nigger kissing a very beautiful white woman. You know, right on, and I just I I, well, I well, said what's that? That's Satan's agenda. That's the Jews' agenda: is race mixing and um, the destruction of our kind. I encourage yes. folks to watch uh, "When Darkness Falls." That video on uh, Mike Delaney's page. Yes. When darkness. That's a good video. Yeah, I also have it on my website, but I don't know why my website keeps going down today. I'm going to write my. Um, ISP again and, and complain about it because something's wrong. Even when you oh. think that that is down, uh, I think it's guest time. I think it's that Jew doing it. No. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have a very secure website. But um, good. Oh, no, now it's back up. <laughs> they heard you. They're just playing with you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, my hosting service is one of the. Bi- it's no Mickey Mouse operation. It's one of the biggest operations in the world. And my websites are all based on software that's used by um, it's open source software that's used by all the major you know all the major companies. It's no joke. It's it's the industrial stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, something's going on with my ISP, and they're usually very reliable. Funny, yeah. It's strange. Uh, my my voiceover phone went down. That links us. I. I wouldn't. You know what that little box is for voiceover by any chance, Bill? You know what I'm talking about? It's a little uh, box. You plug your phone and stuff into it, and it gets you on over the Internet on a wireless service. It, I came in this morning to to get on the phone, and uh, no no dial tone. I called them up and uh, at uh, Clearwire, and uh, got on there with one of these new age Girls trying to help out. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't. You're, you're talking about voice over internet protocol. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. VoIP. VoIP works or VOIP. Or... VoIP, yeah. And, uh, it works fine. It works. But, uh, that's what I always used to call it to you guys. But, but uh, it, it wasn't working this morning. I couldn't. I don't know what was wrong. So they're going to send me a new box. We won't get here till Tuesday. And in the meantime, we've got a cell phone. This is. Well, I was know. afraid to write more notes into this tonight because I thought it was going to take way too long. I'm surprised it went this quick. Uh, I I thought it was going to be a two plus hour program just to get this reading in. Uh, 
wrong. I screwed up again. I can never gauge how long something's going to take, I swear. Yeah, it was, man, I, you know, Bill, that resonated with me so powerfully when I heard you reading that. I, I couldn't, uh, it, it, you know, it made me think it was like, you know, the expression deja vu all over again. Uh, what's his name? Yogi Bear used to credit him with saying it. Yeah, that's part of the problem, though. <laughs> uh, he, uh, it's funny, funny comment, but, uh, and kind of pertinent. I, I, I started thinking, my God, this, this guy is writing stuff that I, I wasn't thinking at all in clear terms like he's writing. But I had that sense, uh, most of my life when I, you know, I go out, I certainly went out and had my share of times here and there and everywhere. But, uh, as time went on, I got, uh, felt uncomfortable. The first yeah. games in literature, the, the first games in literature that, as so far as I know, are in, um, Homer's Odyssey, in the Odyssey, and they were in, in the memory of somebody that just died. They, they were as part of the funerary ceremony. That they, they had a, a, a um, exhibition of games. I, I think it must be Mike making all that. Something's coming Yeah, sounds like the games going on. <laughs> yeah, everything uh, that Tertullian wrote about the games is, and anybody who's read Homer and Hesiod and and the tragic. The, the tragic poets would recognize. Yeah, you know, he was right about everything that he said, he, and he all gets, of that was was founded in in memory of the demons of the fallen angel Mars and Apollo and Athena, and it's all pagan. It, it's all paganism, and it's still paganism today. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, he gets down there. It's almost like he has a microscopic view of everything in detail. The way he writes. Is what struck me. He, he 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 expressed things that I've I've thought but kept quiet about. You know, personal in my mind. I yeah, I, I would have felt strange expressing some of these thoughts that I held about about things he was talking about to other people. Like they, you know, like well, this is kind of a private thought, but this is what I think. But I guess I better not say anything. But he said it, and I, that's what struck me, the deja vu feeling coming back. That uh, he, he said so well. Uh, do you have his literature? Is that posted on your site? To, I did or? post De Spectaculous on Christagenia. There's a uh, couple of errors in the text that I read tonight. It, it wasn't the best typing job by the website that I got it from, and, and I have to try to um, – I've already repaired some, and I have to try to fix the others. Oh, you know, boy. typos and repeated lines, and and I ran into one while I was reading. It kind of tripped me up, and but I I have the text here from the Loeb Library. I should have read that, but it's easier for me to read off the screen when I'm doing a program. But but I have the whole text here from um, Hobbit of the same translation that I just read. T. R. Glover. Okay. I read. Uh, I listened to. to uh... Uh, incidentally, and aside from Tertullian for a moment, I I happened on your uh, well. I went to your web, website today. I was going to read some more of that uh, the uh, Edomite Ar- Arium 
what's the, the, the 27 3, what is it, uh, Deuteronomy 27 13, the one that uh, Clifton wrote on? So the mix up in the words, the D and the A. Right, that's Deuteronomy 27 3, I believe. 27, yeah, I it, read that. It, it reads Edomite, it should read Aram, Aromi instead of Edomi. It, it's, you know, it's. It sounds like a big difference in, in English between Edomite and Syrian or Edomite and Aramean, but but it it's not in, in Hebrew it's only one letter. And the letters the, the letters are extremely similar. And yeah, they're mistaken quite often in scripture. I've found several places other than that that, that are that are really um kind of yeah, you know, innocuous errors where where it, it might be just a verb or something that and, and there's other places in Scripture where Edom and Aram are confused. Deuteronomy 23.7. It's so easy to see uh, once, you know, the, the reading, uh, you read Clifton's article there. And, and, right. Uh, and Clifton's yeah. article points out at least one other place where Edom and Aram or, or Edomite and Aramean are confused. There's several yeah. places in Scripture. Well, other sources that he gave there for that, where it happened, uh, that's... Uh, yeah, people will will go to that and just uh, accept what they read, or uh, you show not abhor the Edomite. That's absurd. Uh, I think that's that's the twenty third to the thirtieth uh, newsletter in that whole series. He did a huge series on Edom Esau. That... Yeah, yeah. I listened. I listened to his. Uh, uh, the recording. Did you, did you just put that up there, Bill? The one on the history of the money system in the U.S. More That's or less. been on Clifton site for months. On his oh, on his site. Okay, I just noticed it last. Uh, well, actually, I got on it this morning when I went back there, and I listened to that since that site's down again. Your your uh, all my sites are going up and down. I don't understand it. I'm gonna have to um. I'm gonna to have what? to write another note to my to my um my hosting service. You, you mean it, it's it's in such a condition that, uh, for example, I wouldn't be able to get in there and get on it if it's down. Well, well you know something, you could always go to emmaheiser.christagenos.org, and and for my website, you could always go to christagenos.org. Uh, I mean, I got two websites that are exactly the same, right? Yeah. And, but. All of my other sites are not mirrored there. Uh, I mean, it's way too much work. So Christogenos is a mirror, then, of Christogenia? Yes, Christogenos is an exact mirror, an exact mirror of Christogenia. And that one won't crash? Is that what... Is that, well, well yeah. no, but it's an alternate when one's down. I see. It, it's, I have something to fall back on, in other words. When one of my sites is down, the other one... Uh, I mean, they're on two... They're on two different servers, two different companies, two different parts of the world, you know? Oh. I, and I, I, <coughs> well, I'm sorry, David. That's um, Christ, O-G-E-N-O-S? Yes. Christ it's just take the E-A out and put an O-S in, Christogenos.org. Mm, okay. Instead of Christogenia.org. Yeah. I like the Genia because it's lighter. And uh, I tried to vote, but it's you got to... Eighty percent in favor, uh, ten to two, or eight to uh, two. But uh, on one side, I got in there. It was the voting option was available, but but on your uh, Christogania site, 
I, I couldn't click on it. Uh, it wouldn't. It didn't do anything. It just showed you the uh, the voting results. But well, uh, well, the voting was only turned on. The poll's been there like a month, right? But it was only turned on a few days ago. The voting. Oh, but it's not on Christogania. I couldn't vote. Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I well, I clicked on it. it had two two long boxes. It had some stuff. It, it said poll results or something. I'm not looking at it right now, Bill. So I, wait a minute. No, I'm not. It's, All right. Well, you should be able to vote. I, I mean, I don't know what would stop you. Well, I like the white white one anyway. <laughs> I decided. I like the I like the. Uh, the dark oh, one. My sight's back up again. It's down and it's up and it's down and it's up. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to have to go look at my logs later on. To show you what happened? Well, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. It might be something going on in my hosting service. It, it could be just the database server connection or something because the database and the site are in two different places and it's all complicated. You think we're having problems with the sunspots or something? Let's see what – does that affect it in any way, you know? No. They'd no. have to be pretty but, big sun flares. I, I mean, the wires would have to be melted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there'd be more problems than just with my website if it was sunspots. <laughs> hey, well, man, the sun's pretty hot. Now, they, they said, though, in Canada, you know, they had those brownouts up there. What was it, uh, 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 Matthew Stefflar was talking about that the other day. Remember he mentioned that when I, I was asking him some stuff about the sun. and he. Oh, yeah, he, he is an astronomer. I mean, he he sent me pictures of his house and him, and, and um, uh, I mean, he has a giant telescope. And where, where most of us would have a two-car garage next to our house, he has a <laughs> giant telescope. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's a big sucker. It's no, um, it's nothing you'd buy in one of those stores in the mall. That's for sure. <laughs> Is it like an an observatory setup? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a small observatory. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a to... small university of observatory in, in the Bavarian mm-hmm. Mountains. Mm-hmm. Oh, in the mountains. Oh yeah, he's up in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I'm looking at the uh, – oh, this reading of the sun is still from the 6th of this month. It's got some bright spots on it, but no uh, no, no sun spot appearances on it. It's an X-ray telescope uh, image. Well, I'll put a link to the document that I read tonight. I'll put it in the chat room. It's on my site. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I have to improve the document has a, a couple of typos. I don't know how much time I'm going to be have to devote to it, but people can figure it out. Yeah, um, they'll get what Edomite mixed up or something in there. <laughs> Not one of those kind of errors. Yeah. Well. What year did Tertullian live, uh, Bill? From about 160 to about 220 A.D. And whereabouts was he in Britain or no? Probably in Rome, right? I don't know. Where Where did he live? Do you know? Okay. He, he was a He was a Christian bishop in in 
Well, well, not in the Catholic sense of the word bishop, but in the original sense of the word bishop, when they were all independent overseers of local community assemblies in Carthage. In Carthage. Right, right which was pro- primarily at that time inhabited by Romans. Ro- mm-hmm. Romans and um, there were a remnant of Carthaginians, but it was primarily Roman. I think up to... Uh... If you, if you, is this Bruce? That's you. Yes, sir. Yeah, I thought it sounded like your voice. I wasn't sure. I go to en.wikipedia.org uh, uh, and then slash wiki w i k i slash tertullian t e r t u l l i a n. And, and uh, Wikipedia's got uh, some stuff. Somebody put that link on the chat room earlier. And I, I see. Yeah. If you want to get to that. Uh, oh, that. okay. Thanks. Yeah, I just got knocked off a few times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been going down. Quintus Septimius Florens Tertullianus, anglicized as Tertullian. That's his name. Yeah. yeah, well, all those Romans had three or four names. Yeah. yeah. Well, the good Christians were really servants of others, and they weren't they weren't lording it over or, or people conquerors, but they. And in that sense, his his family name was probably Septimius. Hmm. Because of the way its name is given. Yeah, his him. name his family name was it may have been Florens, but it was probably Septimius. Quintus. What does that mean? Five or high point or something? Quintus? Well, well, there's a there's a family name. There's a gens name. There's two family names. One of them is the wider family, and one of them is your division of the family, and, ah. and that's the Septimius and the um, and, and the the Florus, and and the the given name is probably Quintus, and the Tertullianus is probably a name he adopted later in life or a nickname or something like that. That's the way it works. Julius Caesar's real name was Gaius Julius Caesar, and his last name is actually Julius. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, it means Julius is the genitive form of Julii. Julii is his family name, and Julius means of the Julii. And Caesar is the... um. The, the the immediate family and and that Caesar family is a division of the Julii and he became known as Caesar commonly but his given name like Bill or John or Joe is actually Gaius. Yeah, yeah Roman names are funny. Uh, I mean they're complicated too. Yeah, uh, I have to look out. I got an explanation of Roman names in 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 the back of one of the. I think it's Tacitus, maybe Germania or or um, one of those. And I have to refer to that quite often when I'm writing about Roman names to make sure I get it straight. Uh Well, thanks for reading that to us, Bill. Oh, no problem. Oh, man, yeah, I had a couple ideas for tonight, so I settled on that because I've been wanting to do it all year, and, and I thought it was timely. How yeah. you doing, Martin? Doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah, great, great show. Thanks. Thanks a lot. 
And, uh, yeah, some, one of the things I was thinking about was just, you know, like uh, the, the TV nowadays, how basically it's, it's just a, a huge idol. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, you know, there's a reason why they call it programming. And that, you know, it's set to, to brainwash all of us. Yeah, right. Well, they say it's, it's programming for, you know, what order, what shows are in, but yeah, it's programming and it's an app's name because it has a double meaning, right? And uh, and also the the thing about a uh, someone had mentioned that something about a, a Gene Simmons earlier. I think I think it was Greg. And I uh, right, and I missed that. I, I did miss that. It's it's in my email somewhere. But he, what's what's really kind of interesting is that his his real name is uh, uh, Chaim Witz. Yes, it is. That he was a uh, Talmudic scholar from from Brooklyn. He is a straight kike. Oh yeah, Gene, uh, Gene Simmons is no doubt one hundred percent kike. Yeah. And, Who is Gene Simmons? He, he's um that rock band Kiss, the four clowns with the makeup. Uh, I never liked them. Well, I'd get sick if I listened to any of that stuff. Yeah, you probably and, would. And, and not not only that, but there's no better you know example of a satanic orgy than, than some of the, you know these the, the rock concerts. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's with, it's with the, the drugs and the light shows. In, in modern times, I'm sure it's the worst of spectacles. No no problem. I have no problem with that. It, it's um licentious sex and drugs and and the the whole the whole problem of society is summed up in in the rock concert i have no I doubt about it years ago in 63 or 4 sometime i went out we went out for two years and friends to indianapolis at the speedway the indianapolis 500 and i i tell you i got that i had that feeling you walk around there it's like you're just in a daze. There's nothing going on but cars going around all day long, and the noise. It's it's. Uh, I just got, I got there. I, I, uh, machines are. I, I appreciate the machinery part of it in a way. You know, they're they're, they're handy things. But uh, I got that feeling like I get when I turn it. If I turn, I went down the other night into our community room here where I live, and I uh, turned on a television set because I don't have one. I thought, well, let me see. Let me see what happens tonight. I turn it on, and there's the blab going on, the sound bite format, and it's the same. You punch any channel. There's nothing on there, as good as television could be for useful things for people. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if we had a hookup where we could uh, talk uh, and, and see each other, you know, uh, on these, pro these shows. I don't want to call them programs. But... Uh, you know, for something useful like that, it could be a benefit. Um, but uh, I had that same, uh, that that aura of uh, ominousness or something, uh, portentous of something. You know, it just, just seemed like there was something in the air uh, around those places. If you go into, it's like feeling I get when I even think of what they call a rock concert. Just imagine all the people lying around, the uh, the scraps of paper, the garbage and stuff to be cleaned. They just make a filthy mess out of it and and uh, revel in their inglorious uh, get-togetherness feeling they have there for all the stuff they're doing. Reveling in the throes of fornication, I guess we call it. It's, it's just uh, appalling. But, uh, I'm sorry, I just never fit into that stuff. Uh, and I, 
I, I don't know. I, well, you surely don't have to apologize for it. Well, I, I know, but I mean, what I mean is that that's in quote marks. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should rejoice you never fit into that stuff. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. I was absolutely we, glued to it at one point in my life. Oh. So we don't owe any apologies to the devil, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It seems yeah. it seems like that there's you know the, the Bible is kind of uh, it gives so few examples. I mean we we have you know the the books of uh, the the five books of 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 the law and everything, but in, in and and also we're told to to you know to rejoice to each other in, in, in psalms and in hymns, but in in that you know whatever we do we should we we should do unto God. But it, it I I don't know in, in in some respects it seems like you know. It, I, I I I guess I personally would like more um, instruction in what you know what exactly is is you know like the correct observance uh, observance of different uh, uh, of different um, festivals and holidays and and uh, well you know there's a lot of division over all of that that there's a lot of division over all of that because everybody wants to feel that they have to do something. And, and they want to feel that they want to make everybody else have to do something. It, wait, what, what do you mean that they, they want to make everyone else happy? Well, well oh. I, I mean, it leads when, when you get into arguing over the correct observances of holidays, even though the, the, the correct days determined can't possibly be known with surety. I mean, even um, like, like Eli's done a lot of research in it. Ken Lentz done a lot of research into it. Clifton's done a lot of research into it, and they come up with three different answers. And, and I would say that it don't really matter. And, and that's my answer. And I've done a lot of research into it, too. Now, now um, and, and I'm sure in ways Clifton and Eli and Ken Lent would all agree, but that there's places where they differ. And, and with the calendar, Eli and, and Ken Lent agree up until the day of Pentecost. And then they part ways, and they have two different interpretations. And and if, if you brought in 18 other identity passes, you come up with 18 other answers. And and there's nothing it, – it can't be proven with any certainty somebody could make a calendar and say this is definitely it. Because there are things that the Bible leaves unanswered, and I believe it left them unanswered for a reason. Uh, okay? Now, now, in truth, I believe that we should attempt to celebrate the feasts. But it doesn't matter if we're a day off in, in our reckoning. To me, it doesn't matter. We should celebrate on a day that, on, uh, as close as possible. A day that we could all get together would be fine. A day that we can agree on. But nobody can say, oh, this is the day. And, and I tried to make that point back when I um, put out a little paper on Passover. Um, you, you, know, you know what was kind of an, 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 abom an abomination was uh, they had that, that uh, there was a Christian rock band Slayer. Where they were trying to, to do a, a spinoff, so they had a, a bunch of so-called Christians with, with long hair and makeup and, and tights running around. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with with the. Uh, it was like a heavy metal band, a Christian heavy metal band. No idea. <laughs> yeah. No, no care for them. Yeah, you didn't miss anything. Yeah, well, but, well, anyway, back to the subject. The first subject that you brought up. As soon as you do get a bunch of us together for anything, somebody's going to want to conduct a ritual. And, and somebody else is going to say, oh, we have to get baptized. And somebody else is going to say something else and, and try to force their, their opinion. That's why I really don't care for any of that. 
get together with your family and, and your kin. And, and if you could gather with other like-minded Christians without cutting each other's throats, that's fine. But get together with your family, get together with your kin, enjoy your time together, have communion, meaning a meal together, and, and um, read from Scripture or, or discuss things. And, and that's fine. That's all you need to do. That There is no correct um, observance of the feast. Paul tells us in Colossians, don't let any man judge you on feasts and Sabbaths and, and this and that. And, and don't do it. Don't let anybody judge you or tell you what you have to do when or, or, or where. That's well, the point of, of Christianity. Now, every day should be a feast. Every day should be a celebration to Yahweh. Every day should be a celebration of, of our redemption. Every day should be an spent in anticipation of the return of Christ. Every single day. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Martin. Yes. Yeah, uh, the, I think I understand what you were talking about. That uh, you, there's, it, it's uh, the Tertullian was pointing out some of the things you were curious about that you thought were missing in, in scriptures in the Bible. Is that what you meant? Well, he, that the, he, we, Tertullian said that we that we should replace uh, that that we should you know replace those things which are. Paganistic and, and, and worldly with those which you know which are which are godly. Yeah. Uh, but as far as I guess maybe I'm trying to you know get into the details too much. Well, I like. Well, well if you come to Christianity, you have to give up going to the Jewish movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really yeah. want to be a Christian, if you really want to be a Christian, you got to stop blowing two hundred bucks a week on Sundays at a football game. Yeah. You know, take that money and give it to some. Um, Young single mother that actually has a white baby swinging from her hip, right? Mm. Give it to some family trying to um, struggling to to pay their mortgage that, that got a couple of good kids. Yeah, you know that that isn't going to go that aren't going to go spend it on crack. Yeah, you know you got to watch for that. But but not nah, there's there's a lot there's a lot better that we could do with our with our entertainment money. Don't go to Disneyland. Go buy some kid a bike. Damn. <laughs> Why go to Disneyland and throw your money at the Jews? And rat yeah. 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 You know, there's a lot better that we could do. But did you happen to hear that? Uh, there was like some. I believe there was a federal I judge. I keep picking on Disneyland and Pilgrim keeps telling me not Disneyland. <laughs> Oh no, not Disneyland. <laughs> there, there was a, a federal judge who who ruled that the, uh, the National Day of Prayer, which has been around since the uh, the time of the founding of the Constitution, to be uh, unconstitutional. Hit me with that again, Martin. There, there was a, a federal judge. I forget where it was that that ruled that the National Day of Prayer to be unconstitutional. What does he have to say about it? Well, well, you know, a Jew could find anything any way he wants. That's the way it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could justify anything. And 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 Rahm Emanuel lit a damn menorah on the White House lawn, and nobody raised a peep. Yeah, that's well. They, they've been lighting menorahs around right around the White House for years. Huge ones, like like thirty foot menorahs around around uh, Christmas time. And right, guess thirty-two. Dollywood, Disneyland, Dollywood, Great Adventure, Jungle Habitat, 
uh, uh, whatever one of those amusement parks, Wally World, whatever, it don't matter. They're all the same. What's Dollywood? What, what do you mean by that? Dollywood is some, you know, the kites set up something in Dolly Parton's name down in Missouri or Tennessee or one of those places. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> yeah. that must be the best they can get. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. Walt Disney may have been a good man, but Jews run the company now, and it does all the work of Satan. Did you know that Walt Disney in World War One went around shooting German, uh, took German helmets? He worked for the Red Cross in World War One, and uh, Walt Disney, and he, he would shoot the Germans' helmet and smear blood on it, so sell them as souvenirs. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a Jew to me. <laughs> yeah, sure does. Did he take them around in a pushcart and sell them? Or? <laughs> well, he. He did it. He sold them as souvenirs, and uh, so. Yeah. Actually, Disney was responsible for making a lot of the propaganda films for World War II. Yeah. Yes, it did, and it did a lot of evil work there. Also, John Ford as well. They set the whole <laughs> studio for that. So which film for that he may had made? There were there were a lot of uh, propaganda films for. Uh, for the uh, servicemen uh, during World War II, that was made by Dis- uh, Disney. Yep, a lot oh. of pro, uh, a lot of pro-Jew government propaganda films. In general, Kuykendorf, for sure, he had, um, for sure, he was uh, working right in the in the Kike's hand with the Mac Dog is asking whether Hershey was a Jew, and I don't think so, because one thing Hershey did right was he he took his foundation and, and used it to found a school for white kids only, a white kids only high school. And and only the last 10 years did the, the board that got up, the Jews that infiltrated them, themselves onto the board of that foundation took it to court and had it changed. So it can't be a white school only, you mean? Right. They, they cried that they couldn't get enough white kids to sign up. My butt, they're, they're lying kite. Uh, I'll start cussing. I start thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but Jew moves his lips, he's lying. Wherever you see a rabbi, there's already been a crime. Hey, did you see the sign that uh, guest number 32 the other day? I- uh, wrote this, put this note on the screen. I copied it and, and, and changed the type style. Racism is a way to shut up whites so that we can be exterminated in silence. Yes, it is. I printed that out in big, great, big uh, chantry style letters in red. Well, now, whites has to be taught that racism is love. Put that up. That's racism right. Racism is love for God's original creation. And anti-racism is anti-God, period. Bill, I've got a question. That reminded me, talking about love. Something I was reading the other day, in uh, might have been in Genesis, Deuteronomy, uh, and I can't, I didn't make a note of it, but it it struck me. It said that you take a tenth of your, uh, in the third year, you take a tenth of your, 
tithe or your your goods, whatever, and give it over for the use to the aliens, to mothers, and that sort of thing. Now, what does that are you familiar aliens? With? I don't think it says that anywhere in scripture to give aliens a tenth. Yeah, it did. Yes, yes. It's you have this. to show me that one. <laughs> All right, I, I can't remember right now where it is. But when I find it, I'll I'll bring it up sometime. Uh, yeah, it did. It said I didn't know what they meant by that. It said the aliens in your land. It, because uh, I, I don't read, you know, I, I suppose I could go to Biblos as best I could do and look up and see when I find it, find out how they translate that and what they mean by that word. It may have been something that they that they put in there as a deceptive means, just like when they changed the word, what was that, the Edomites, the, 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 the uh, D and the A uh, transcription in, in error, so that you read it the wrong way. Well, the word that, aliens is in scripture three times, and none of them are. The, and one of them's the exact. They're all the exact con. The context. Well, two of them are the exact, exact opposite context is the context that you cite. Uh, I uh, mean, la- lamentations. Remember, O Yahweh, what has come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. Our inheritance is turned to strangers. Our houses to aliens. Yeah, you know that's a that's yeah, you know he's crying about it. Are you talking about the Edomites? Well, Jeremiah talking about yeah, you know the reproach of Jerusalem before before its fall, okay. and and Hebrews eleven thirty four. Yeah, you know where Paul talks about the fact that they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Uh-huh. Now, now Ephesians two twelve says at that time you you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. But that's really a verb that they translated as a noun, and, and it uh, should say being alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel. All right, yeah. yeah you know, and, and, and that's, you know, those King James-only freaks that don't even understand it. The King James could take a noun and make it a, a, a verb and make it a noun and change the meaning a 100%. That's crazy. That's what yeah. they did. Yeah, being in the world with people like King James only, it's like being in a rowboat and they want you, you're in there uh, in a lifeboat and they want to try to tell you we should make a submarine out of this or something. I, you know, it's, it's weird. It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's suicidal weird, though. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, but I keep forgetting. When I start thinking like that, it, it's, it, it, Slipping outside of the truth, moment uh, to get back into it. That, that's the way it is. That's what we've been getting. We've been given over to that kind of thinking. Been led into it. Many have, and we. I I I don't agree with that thinking, and I don't fall in line with it. But uh, you're certainly affected by what was like Tertullian said. If you don't agree with what they're if you wouldn't do what they're doing, don't applaud them when they do it. Right. And associate with them. Yeah. Right. And and that's what we do every time we go to a theater. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know what that 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 was a, a relief to hear that again today to hear what you read and he said because that's the way I become become feeling. I don't want to go out and be with anybody hardly. Uh, I mean, of you know, general public, be in public and, and and go around places anymore. I just don't care. I only go to town about once every three weeks. 
Yeah. It's that sometimes. Yeah. I, I run to the – my P.O. box is actually um, in the, the opposite direction from town. I go there once a week, and, and I only go to town about once every three weeks. It, it's um, – the, the only reason why I go to my P.O. box once a week is every once in a while somebody will send me a CD or, or something, and the, the boxes are so small it doesn't fit, you know. Otherwise, I may only go there once every three weeks, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as strange as that might seem at, at first glance, but that's the way we should be living, I think, don't you? I mean, more or less. Uh, well, well, yeah, I think that I'm totally separated from um, society. I, I try not I, – I, I get out of the house once a day. I go for a jog down, a, down to the park, down the road that's – always absolutely uninhabited because I'm in a really rural area and, and they built this park on the creek down the road and, and um, I've oh. never seen anybody in it the whole year and a half I've been here. <laughs> so I, I jog my dog down to there and, and um, I, I go for these six mile walks up up the mountain that, that's across the street from my house. But but um, I, I'll, I'll go for, I'll walk six miles and see two people. It's great. And they're both white. It, it's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to go to town. I go to town, I get ticked off. You and me both. <laughs> and and it's only town here is a it's a mile in the other direction, and it's only um about seventy five hundred people. Yeah, have, have you been getting into any new research projects lately? Yeah. Um, no. All my research has been in Linux and Linux servers, and I'm, I'm I don't have time to do everything. I'm trying to get a server up so I could um having a, a talk to you alternative going. I, I mean, it's close. It's up and running, but I'm having some technical issues that i got to work out, and I'm my own webmaster, and I'm my own Linux tech, and, and I'm my own everything, so so it's, you know, it's a lot of work. So, I mean, Boxar helps me out when he can, but he's, um you know, a lot of the stuff I do is new to him, too, so. Are you seeing any light at the end of the forest? No, because I keep piling projects on top of myself. I, I'm a glutton for punishment. On, on the Christogenia New Testament is on Lulu. A cover is being made for it right now. It will be available soon. And, and after I get that done, I'm going to put up my historical essays in a book format and some of my religious essays in a book format and... and um, I might even do my full translation, you know, with all my notes. But to do them, I've learned recently, i got to change all my fonts to Unicode, all those Greek fonts. And there's tens of thousands of characters of Greek fonts that have to be changed to, to Unicode fonts because they're old, word-perfect fonts that don't fly anymore. So that's a huge task changing all my notes in my translate, 2,500 footnotes and all the Greek in there to Unicode fonts is just a huge task. Any way you can automate that at all? Is there any way to automate Is there a way to automate it? You know, 15 years ago when I was a programmer, I could probably do anything, right? But I'm not um, – I don't want to take the time out to have to learn the programming to be able to automate the process, you you know what I mean? <laughs> wow, yeah, 2,500 footnotes and all that type. That's a lot of, a lot of typing. 
Right, and and it would be a highly specialized computer program that would have to be written to automate it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody was asking, I think they were asking you on the screen here, Bill, do you fish that creek? Oh, John, you know, fishing, if you go look at williamfink.net and see the pictures of me in 96 with catfish and bass and, and my canoe and, and the whole get up on the river, fishing used to be my pastime. But I haven't even had time to think about fishing since I got out. Mm-hmm. I can't even I can't even think about taking the time to go fishing. I, I would love to, but but I I I um I just don't have the time. Yeah. I, I mean, I would just hate to take the two or three days off or whatever it would take. So I I don't mess with fishing too much. I I don't a, a day off to me is um. A day working on Linux instead of on programs. That, that's a day off. Yeah. <laughs> Going to the computer 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day. Back dog, I try to get out about an hour every afternoon. I'll go for a run or a walk or something. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, get out and get. Your, and, and yes, I do hope to make it to Louisiana this year if, if probation will go along with it. If, if my, um, my my federal overseer will go along with it. <laughs> Gerald, what did he say? Bill, Bill is coming to Louisiana to hunt gator. <laughs> with, with my bare hands. With your bare hands, right? Yeah. <laughs> So what's what's on tap for tomorrow? What's on tap for tomorrow is Spanish Civil War Part Two. I think I'm going to use um, employ the chapters from William Guy Carr Ponds in the game because I can't. There's no decent stuff on the whole internet about the Spanish Civil War. It's all it's all um, pro communist, pro Republican garbage. It's incredible. So we're going to read, do readings from William Guy Carr, I think. I haven't even, um, you know, preparing for today. I had to read ahead and, you know, I had to read this, all these chapters in Tertullian before I read them tonight. So Pilgrim wants me to come to Disneyland. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Wouldn't I'd rather go hang myself. <laughs> Well, okay, if there's nothing else, I'm going to end this recording. This is Yahweh's Covenant People and William Fink for E.Y. James, and thank you, and good night.